Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wondering as Parents How to Talk WAP. This is our third episode. I'm very, very excited because we actually have a professional that is going to be on. That is my sister, Jessica Hazard. Jessica is born in Loveland, Colorado. She has resided in places like San Francisco and also New York City, where she currently lives. She is a social worker and has her master's in social work from NYU. And she works at Planned Parenthood and also was a counselor at a high school in New York City where she would discuss many topics like sex and STDs and pregnancy prevention with her uh, clients and students. So anyway, please welcome my sister, Jessica. Jessica, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. So I don't want to keep you because I know you're a busy lady. So one of the things I wanted to start out with is in our first episode, mom talked to us about how she gave you the talk. And I was curious what your perspective of that was since me and your uh, talks were very different. I feel like we're, we're being so formal. Uh, for <laughs> A question that's so upsetting. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, listen, like she kept, she'd been trying to have the talk with me for quite some time and I was really not into it. Um, I just did not want to talk to her about it. I did not want to hear about it. Um, and then, yeah, we, cause you know, I was a big uh, wonder years Stan. And so uh, Paul lost his virginity on one of the episodes, and so she decided to uh, talk to me after that. I literally remember her drawing, like, a picture of dogs having sex with each other, which was very strange. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, listen, but I, you know, I, but I do, but I appreciate it, right, because I, I do think that a lot of parents, like, won't allow it to be a conversation or, um, you know, kind of make it something really shameful. And, and she didn't do that. And, you know, I, I think it's just, I felt awkward because it was like my mom, but, you know, I think the older I am, um, you know, and also just working with teenagers myself, like realizing how, um, you know, that it was, it was great that she did that. And even if I felt really uncomfortable and kind of wanted to die, um, I think it's much, <laughs> I think it's much better than, um, you know, having a parent who just will not talk about it at all, who will pretend like it's not a thing, um, who, um, you know, just puts their head in the sand, I think, um, because, you know, then you just know that you could talk to your parent about it if you needed to. And I think that's important. So what made you get into the work that you're with, like with Planned Parenthood and becoming a social worker and helping teens um, and adults out with, uh, you know, anything that has to deal with sex. What um, inspired you or motivated you to get into this line of work? Um, yeah, I don't. So that wasn't. Well, to become a social worker, um, you know, I had suffered with an eating disorder um, in my college years, and I had to go to intensive outpatient treatment. Um, and I had social workers there. And um, psychologist and things like that. And so that kind of, um, I was originally a journalism major, 
But then I kind of thought maybe I wanted to help people. And I originally wanted to go into social work because I actually wanted to work with people with eating disorders, um, help people who had been through something similar that I had been through. Um, but I really realized that um, that was too, it was too close for me. It was too triggering for me to work with people who had experienced something I had, because even though I've recovered, you know, I guess it's with anyone who's like recovered, like addicts, I do look at eating disorders as an addiction of some type that, you know, there's some of that stuff that you still have to fight. Um, and so I kind of realized that um, I still really wanted to help people and I wanted to be there for them. Um, but I couldn't really do it in a space that was so close to what I had experienced. Um, and I don't know, I was just I was, I was interested in working with, I was like scared to work with teenagers. My first, uh, my first internship <laughs> was at a high school and a part of me was kind of scared, but also excited because I just think, um, I think adolescence is just an incredible time. Um, like it's so confusing. It's so hard, but it's also like really exciting and you're figuring out who you um, are going to be. And you kind of have one step in being a child and one step in being an adult and, um, I just think that it may, it's an incredible time of um, development and like human development. And it's, um, and I just really love teenagers. Like they really keep you on your toes and <laughs> um, they're just hilarious. And they also like, they need adults. They need adults that they can trust and they can talk to and they don't always get that. And I think teenagers get a really bad rap, um, you know, and so once I kind of uh, learned and figured out how how to work with them and be there for them, um, it's been really rewarding. And I think a, a big part of working with teenagers, right, is about sex and sexuality and relationships and and navigating all of that, because that's really a big part of adolescence. So what are some of the questions that, you know, teens or even um, I know that you worked with ARC of San Francisco with uh, people with disabilities and stuff. What were the kind of conversations or questions that you felt like you most commonly heard that you felt like a lot of parents do not address when they talk, have that talk? Um, yeah, so I actually got to do a teach a sex ed class at the ARC um, with a couple of my colleagues. Um, shout out to Norman and Rory. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of, um, it was kind of something new, like that hadn't been done a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it, um, right, people oftentimes are like, oh, people with developmental disabilities are not sexual, they, um, they don't have those kinds of urges, they're, um, you know, that they're, that's not a part of their lives. And the thing is, like, it is a part of their lives. And now listen, like, right, people have different kinds of disabilities, and they have different kinds of, um, you know, ways that they might be sexual or might have relationships. And so not everyone is going to be the same, right, just as all humans, right? right? Some of us are gay, straight, asexual, polyamorous, all those kinds of things, right? You know, I think people with developmental disabilities are all those things. And some of them are like, you know, their sexual relationships might look like kissing and holding hands, or it might look like actually having sex, or it might look like, um, you know, that we need to uh, arm them with facts about if someone is trying to touch them in a sexual way, that's not okay. Um, you know, so I think it's, but I think the important thing is not denying that that's right, a part of, of their lives because they're not children. Um, they, 
and you know they they have sexual lives and we should talk about that and not sweep it under the rug I mean, I agree, especially because, you know, your niece uh, happens to have Down syndrome. And it's funny because that's like one of the biggest questions I get in the community or from other people is her being a female and people asking me, you know, what we would do if she got pregnant or will we put her on birth control? And I've been very open that I want her to be on birth control. I want her to have a sex life if she chooses that that is the path she wants to go down if she loves somebody. However, I feel like I get a lot of drawback or I get a lot of gasps in like the community and from other people that I would even like understand or even like toss around that idea with her and thinking she's a sexual person. So if Molly came to you and asked you about sex or even was like engaging in anything, would you, how would you talk to her or would you just tell her to talk to me and David? No, I mean, listen, I think that if you're, you know, because listen, I know, I know that you would be comfortable with me talking to her, right? So I, like, I know we've already established that. um, So I would feel comfortable talking to her about that. Um, You know, and I, listen, there's a reason why, there's a reason why I was kind of dying when like, mom was telling me about sex but then in like a sex ed class I was a little better right like you know well they wouldn't have dogs you don't always want to talk to your parents about it um but you know that and that's another way parents can uh help their kids learn about sexuality is if like a kid is you know just doesn't want to talk to you about feeling embarrassed feeling shy right then parents can help them find an adult that they feel like they can't talk to like right that the parents trust that adult whether it's someone at like a clinic whether it's an aunt whether it's a friend whether it's a teacher right and kind of establish like if you can't talk to me about these things you can always go to this person and talk to them um you know so I mean I think I would just her like I talk about anyone who's interested in um being sexual you know and I think using plain language um, is something that we should actually do with everyone. Um, You know, that we need to like, you know, with sex, there's so many euphemisms, there's so many like words for it. And, you know, that can be fun and it can be sexy, but it can also um, make it seem kind of taboo to talk about it in any real way or use the real words about things. Um, And I think also using plain language, right, is using simple language, is using language that people can understand. Um, And, you know, kind of talking about, you know, if I'm talking to someone about birth control, whether it's someone with a developmental disability or just someone I'm seeing at Planned Parenthood or one of my friends, like, I don't need to go into all the like, and this is the name of this thing that is now happening, right? Like, I'll tell them, like, these are the ways that work, like you know, a fertilized egg um, to attach to a uterus, um, it'll make the lining thinner, so it's harder, you know, you just kind of want to use really like plain language and kind of really explain to them like, what's happening, um, but you don't need to get like super technical about everything, because that's confusing to everyone. So that I guess that's what's interesting when we're talking about this, because I feel like the, you know, the two times I've done this, or when I talk to people about this, I feel like the first talk everybody has is how babies are made or how am I created? And so I thought that was interesting because I wanted to know in your professional opinion, do you think the first talk should just always be about that? Or do you think that it should go more in depth with sexuality, especially because sexuality is so fluid? Like when do you actually go into other things than just doing a baby, you know, a man or a woman come together kind Mm -hmm. of talk? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, listen, working in this field, I think, um, 
and getting to go into uh, classrooms and teach sex ed and things like that is like, even to this day, and back when I was in high school, right, there was this real thought that like sex ed was like, how does sex happen? How do you get pregnant? Birth control, STDs, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's all that sex ed is. Like, what is sex? And right, and it was super obviously heteronormative, right? Sex is penis and vagina. And that's what it is. And we're not talking about anything else. And, um, (laughs) you know, I think that, I mean, listen, it's not birth control, STIs, how you get pregnant, how you can track STIs, those are important things. But that's not everything. And I think also when we're talking about the spectrum of sex education and, um, you know, when we talk about what would it be like to have sex education uh, K through 12, right, in school and people are like, what? How would you teach a kindergarten sex education, (laughs) right? But you look at the different ways, like, because with a kindergartner, maybe it's, you're not exactly talking about sex, but maybe you're talking about consent, right? Like, you should only you know, ask someone before you hug them, ask someone before you take their toy, like, you know, having those kinds of conversations about like, you know, maybe like first or second grade, like teaching them the real, you know, um, the body parts, like this is a penis, this is a vagina, because when our kids are armed with more information, then it helps them be more informed. And it usually helps uh, make our young help our young people make responsible sexual decisions for themselves. Um, You know, I think also like, I mean, I will say this, mom never told me to wait till I get married. She told me to wait till it was someone I loved. Right. But I think a lot of times, a lot of kids also get the whole, like you wait till you're married to have sex. And that's just not what most of us do. Right. And so also having conversations about what does a healthy relationship look like? Right. So, you know, maybe when we're getting into like fifth grade or middle school, right. Like, how do we know someone likes us? How do we know if, if we like them? Like, what are, you know, how do we know if someone's being kind to us? How do we know um, if someone demands something of us? Is that a healthy relationship? Is that good communication? Um, You know, these like healthy relationships were never talked about in my um, sex ed classes. Like consent was never really, I mean, consent was like kind of talked about. I remember like in seventh grade, I had sex ed in, uh, she did tell us that blue balls were not a thing and that we should not let uh, boys <laughs> pressure us into sex. <laughs> so blue balls is a thing. However, it's not nearly as, it's not debilitating. Um, <laughs> so it is a thing, but it's not debilitating. So you shouldn't let someone pressure you to have sex because they have blue balls. Um, you know, that was kind of the, uh, we. Wa- I think like in high school, we watched some like Candace Cameron uh, Fred Savage movie where he like date rapes her or I don't know something crazy <laughs> but it was like cheesy and it was stupid and it was just kind of like you know it really like real conversations about um you know like what happens if you um you and your partner do decide you want to have sex and one partner doesn't want to get tested for STIs and one does or one partner wants to use condoms and one doesn't or you know what are those kind of conversations looking like and how do you really talk about consent and what you know, it's a lot more than just like, oh, yeah, I want to have sex right now. Like, there's a lot more, like, what kinds of sex do you want to have, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and, you know, if you're having certain kinds of sex, like, how would you have those safely? And also, you know, people who use birth control don't always just use birth control for uh, preventing pregnancy, right? Like, some people use birth control because they're trans and they want to stop their period or some people use it because they have bad periods and they, you know, so I, there's just like so much beyond, um, here's what the pill is. Here's what, 
if you have sex, you're gonna get herpes and die and like, whatever, <laughs> like, yeah, how many of us grew up with, you know, I think it's such a it's such a huge spectrum. Um, and I think also right people with disabilities, as I was saying, they're on a spectrum too, right? Like, you know, some of them might never have like, you know, um, penetrative sex, but they might want to hold hands and make out or they might want to do other things or, or they might want to have penetrative sex, whatever that might look like, right? Like sex ed is not just about the P and V. It's about the whole spectrum of our sexuality and relationships. It's so funny that you're talking about that because I vividly remember and um when we learned about sex ed and there was like and Sinbad was like wearing a condom costume and was like dancing around on the screen and I just remember being like we thought it was funny but yeah like they never showed you what like what was the point of the condom you know he was just like use a condom da 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 you know and then like we're going back on the blue balls thing. I just remember my teacher being like, if a boy says you have to have sex with him because he has blue balls and he's not going to be able to play the football high school game, that's a lie. And I, I still remember being like, what? This yeah. is the weirdest information I have ever gotten. And like, it sounds cheesy, but I feel like I navigated sex a lot more from watching um, movies. Like, um, you know, when I used to go on Cinemax and all of those. And I feel like even watching those was harmful because I looked at sex so differently. So I guess when I was sexually active, I just didn't understand why I wasn't in a different pose or how come it doesn't look like it did on the TV or where's that sensuality? Like, you know, my first time definitely was not like the movies. There wasn't beautiful candles yeah. and it, it wasn't like 90210. Like, you know, <laughs> Dylan. It's like so it's funny because I'm like, that's where the girls, I'm just always want to be, I always want them to be open with me. I always want to be open with them. I just never know how much of my personal experiences I should bring in being a parent without like grossing them out. Or like, I also don't want to like put them in different directions. Like, you know, watching those kind of TV shows and like glamorizing this sexuality that doesn't totally truly exist, you know, that well, it is just for t entertainment. I mean, listen, I am going to give mom props that like, right, she took a moment in media in a show that I really liked and used that as a jumping off point to talk about stuff. And that's not a bad thing to do. And, you know, it's definitely something we suggest doing. Um, you know, maybe even watching that date rape movie in my uh, health class wouldn't have been so bad, except we just kind of watched it and never talked about it, right? But mm -hmm. if we had watched it and maybe had more discussions, I think media can be um, a really great way to talk about things. Um, what did you think about what you saw? Um, and, you know, I also wanted to mention um, that I kind of forgot with sex ed in the spectrum is also pleasure. Um, you know, I don't think masturbation is talked en about enough in sex ed. And I think that... Um, you know, also like, um, right. That we shame little kids from like an early age of like, don't touch yourself there. Don't touch yourself there. Right. When what we want to be doing is saying like another point of sex with young kids is like, it's okay to touch yourself there, but that's something you do in private. So that's something yeah. you want to do in your room by yourself. Right. So not making because if you're just like, don't touch yourself there, don't touch yourself there. Right. That, that adds to the shame and it does feel good to touch yourself there. That's why kids do it. Right. Right. So it's kind of like, it's okay to enjoy your body. It's okay to touch yourself, but only when we're in private, because we don't want to make other people uncomfortable you know, they're not consenting to watch someone touch themselves in front of them. <laughs> um, and, and I also think pleasure in the way that, um, you know, I think in our society, it's built in that like, oh, yeah, man, men get pleasure from sex. I don't think it's nearly as built in for women. I don't think masturbation for 
um, women or people who have um, vulvas, um, vaginas, right? Like, I don't think that it's um, pleasure is talked about enough. And um, I think there was like this, this woman went on like Oprah and said something about 16 year old girls should have vibrators and everyone like lost their ever loving minds. Um, But I'm actually quite a proponent of that because I think that the thing is girls are, uh, or, you know, people with vulvas and vaginas, like, they're, it's even like, well, how do you masturbate? Are you supposed to stick your fingers in or are you rubbing or what are you doing? And then, you know, I think like you just kind of learn, um, you know, so many of the young women I was working with, it's like, oh, their boyfriend just sticks it in and pumps it a couple of times and then goes out. And the girl's like, wait, I thought sex was supposed to feel good, but this doesn't really feel good because they've never really been encouraged or taught to find out what feels good for themselves. And I think when we arm young people with understanding what feels good for them and that can also help them make smarter uh, sexual decisions because they shouldn't learn that it's just oh my boyfriend wants to do it and he likes it so I'm just gonna do it for him but like no I to feel I deserve to feel good too and if a partner is not making me feel good and they're not at least trying to make me feel good then maybe this is not a healthy relationship for me um so you know I think that's a part that needs to be brought in too because um you know, foreplay, stuff like that. Like, yeah, I also were just like, yeah, he kisses me twice and then he just sticks it in. It doesn't feel good. Uh, yeah, that's not yeah. going to feel good. <laughs> right. right. But you watch like a TV show and it's like, that's what they do, right? They kiss for like two seconds and shove it in. And so I think like these things all lead to like healthier, um, you know, relationships and, and sexual lives. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think that's another thing is like, when I grew up, I remember it always being like, oh, the female orgasm isn't real, or anything like that. And I always thought that that was kind of like what I would get from those shows, you know, where I'm like, okay, as a woman, you just make noises, and then the guy gets off, and then you're excited, you know what I mean? And then you're fine. And you're like, at least he got that. And I agree. Like, and that's another way of navigating with the girls where I'm like, I do want to teach them about like, being able to orgasm and like to be able because the first time I had one it was amazing like it was like the best thing that ever happened like I was like I didn't think my body was allowed to do something like this you know and so um I agree like do you feel like that the female orgasm is being more introduced now or do you think it's still kind of a, a faux pas thing I mean I didn't have one until I was 27 years old I had never had an orgasm my friend after brunch we got went and got like mimosa drunk in the village and I had told her I'd never had a vibrator and she was like what the hell and she took (laughs) me to this West Village shop and then it took me like a month or two months to even get up the courage to use it right that's why I feel like these things should be normalized more um and then when I uh had one I was like oh Jesus was this what you know I'd been having sex for quite some time at that point and I was like oh oh this is what I've been talking about. And yeah, I think it's because we, we just don't really like, and right. Like not everyone with a vagina is going to get off on uh, penetrative vaginal sex. Right. Like a lot of people, like there needs to be clitoral stimulation that just like, you know, so I, listen, I do think we're getting better as a society about like talking, you know, these things. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of the work that I got to do with the school-based health center that I get to do with Planned Parenthood that, um, you know, I did going into sex ed classes where I, right, I could talk about these things and bring up these things that I was like, wow, this was really missing from my education and I want to talk to them about it. Um, but, you know, they're definitely, yeah, I, you know, I've seen many, many girls that were like really not getting pleasure from their sexual encounters and they thought there was something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, no, it's, it's cause like, right, like, 
think sometimes people need foreplay. Sometimes people, you know, it's okay to need to masturbate. It's okay to like try out stuff because after I was able to give myself an orgasm with the vibrator, then I was able to help my partners give me one. Or sometimes I bring something into the bedroom with me. Let's hope mom does not listen to this. Um, (laughs) But you know, because like, because then I learned and then it, and I also think it, it did make me uh, more think about my partners more because if they weren't really trying to, uh, they weren't open to instruction or listening or trying to help me feel good, then like that was not going to be a good partner for me. Um, and I didn't have that. Before. I was just like, well, I guess this is what it feels like. So I guess it's cool. <laughs> like, yeah. So um, I'm like, I want to go into even more of a faux pas, kind of what me and Chris talked about in my second episode, which was that like he, you know, was attracted to men, but he didn't really know how that was going to work. And then he kind of for, like figured it out, but it wasn't until like he would talk, heard about anal sex and he was just like, Whoa, that sounds weird. And now, you know, obviously he's a huge um, advocate of it and stuff. And I feel like the male prostate in the, the um, anus is something that is like very much not talked about because straight men have it. It's not just gay men. And so do you think that that's being more talked about now? Or do you think that that's still something that's going to take a while for men to admit? I mean, listen, I, I think that um, it was it was actually very interesting because uh, so my friend Madeline, um, who works at uh, CHN, where I used to work, we got to go in and do um, some sex classes at the school I worked at together. And we had like a time where the kids could like ask um, questions like we let them have sticky notes and then we just pick them up and mix them up. So no one knew who was asking the question. And um, one of the questions was uh, asked if a male could get pleasure from anal sex and so or or listen like you, you know anyone with a prostate um I don't always want to be um you know don't want to don't want to just be cisgender specific but incorporate everybody on the gender spectrum um mm-hmm. and so you know we were like yeah people with prostates um can feel pleasure during uh anal sex and can stimulate the prostate and there was just one boy I think they were freshmen and there was just this one boy in his face lit up like a freaking Christmas tree. And I was like, oh, this kid cannot wait to test out that prostate. (laughs) But he just looked so happy. But it made me happy because I was like, right? Like, because these are things we should be answering for kids. And these are things that we should be talking about, Um, you know? And I think also too, right? Like there's a real, um, you know, I had a 15-year-old come in and he was gay and he wanted to... um, you know, have sex with his partner and he wanted to be the bottom. And I very much explained to him, like, you know, I gave him a lot of lube, a lot of condoms, you know, it was like, it's very important to use a lot of lube and condoms because STIs are passed easier during anal sex because of the tearing. Um, but, you know, also like how to make it pleasurable, like you and your partner should definitely be communicating, right? And talking the whole time and use the I think I said use a whole lot of lube and even more uh, communication. So, (laughs) right. Like, but it's like, we should be having those kinds of conversations because when we're leaving out those, um, you know, kids who want to explore other kinds of sex, like, you know, you don't use enough lube, you don't use a condom and that does also open them up to more risk. Right. So not only should they have a right to learn about pleasure and what would be pleasurable to them and how to be intimate, but also how to keep themselves safe in that because all sexual acts are carry different risks um mm-hmm. you know they um oral sex you can you can definitely pass stis that way um especially herpes but you know you're not 
it's not very uh, frequent that you're going to pass HIV through oral sex. I mean, it's it's pretty, it's less than 99%. However, anal sex, it goes up much more because there's tearing in the anus that happens, um, which makes it easier for fluid to get in. And so, yeah, I think these are just like, right, it's it's, it's a shame that our youth, um, our LGBTQ youth, um, have been left out of the conversation for so long. And I, you know, I, I mean, listen, I live in New York City, so I, I feel like I can be like, yeah, the conversation's getting better, but I don't know what it looks like in like Arkansas, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I mean, listen, the internet is good and bad, right? Like the, right. Internet, the internet has some dark, thing. like I, you know, listen, one thing I, I like to do for my young people too is give them like reliable websites to look at, right? Because, you know, you just like Google stuff and like really weird shit's gonna come up. But it can give young people an opportunity who maybe live in like, I don't, whatever, I don't want to totally shit on Arkansas because I don't know what happens there, but Arkansas, right? Like if, <laughs> if they cannot get, right, if they're not really having like LGBTQ plus um, inclusive uh, sex ed, like, you know, being able to be like, here are some good websites that you can go to. Here are some reliable places that you can, um, or maybe here's some webinars or here's some um, you know, uh, communities of queer youth or things like that to access where hopefully, you know, even if the school system is not doing that for them, um, that they can access some of that information. So I do think in that way, like the, the internet and just like learning more and more things does open up more conversations about what sex can look like and, um, how to do it safely. So um, I need to bring this up because when you talk about sex, I think it's very important to talk about abortions. Um, Mm -hmm. And when do you think that conversation should come into play? Do you think that should be a part of the actual sex talk? Or do you think that Mm -hmm. that's just an ongoing conversation when you find out that your child is being sexual or how how does that come to play? No, I definitely... um... So to kind of go back to a little bit about how I've seen sex ed done um, through different places and some ways that I've done it is um, so, right, it, it becomes not just like one class or one little thing, but it's a series of workshops, right? And so um, I know both with the one Planned Parenthood and the one um, with CHN that like they um, have an entire um, lesson that's on abortion. Um, you know, I think it's important for, I mean, listen, if we're going to talk to people about uh, birth control, and we're going to talk to them about um, STIs and all those kinds of things. Why would we not talk to them about abortion, right? Because right. in in some ways, like abortion is birth control, right? And I know people will gasp at that and be like, "No, it's not supposed to be used for birth control." But I mean, listen, if you don't want to be pregnant, right, it is a form of controlling not giving birth. And you know, I mean, listen, we know that one in three. Um, you know, people with a uterus have one in their lives. So it's something that happens a lot. And, you know, it's also something that's become so cloaked in, in shame and stigma. And um, it shouldn't be that way. People should have like the information they need. They should be able to know where they can go to get a safe one. They should know what their options are, depending on how pregnant they are. Um, right? Like, we know the more we give people information, then the the better things are, the healthier they are, the safer they are, right? And if we teach people about abortion, it doesn't mean like, oh, cool, now I'm going to go out and get pregnant and then run and get an abortion. I feel like there's always this really strange thing that if we teach young people about certain things, it's just going to make them do it. Like, please, as someone who has sat with probably at this point thousands of teenagers and had um, sexual health conversations with them, they are going to do things 
um, no matter how informed they are. And actually the ones who are more informed tend to be safer and delay um, their first sexual encounter and tend to be um, more discerning about their partners than the um, young people who have no information because how can they make, you know, good informed choices when no one has given them the information to make those? Right. And I think that's a thing, too, is nowadays, I feel like there's really good media and movies who have come out and kind of shown like, you know, women getting abortions or girls getting abortions. But it's not like the same old, same old, uh, you know, like dirty dancing kind of like scenario with it. Like I just watched one that was on HBO Max, I believe. And um, it's great because I love that the whole thing is an adventure, all that. But it's like it's a sideline to it and it doesn't ruin the person or it doesn't ruin the person with um you know within their lives and that it just is something that you happen to get and it might be a big deal at that point but it's not going to be the end of the world where I feel like a lot of that stigma or people I've talked to with that feel like that like like you said the shame or they're like you know it's gonna like ruin your whole life and mm-hmm. stuff and it's like no <laughs> not how that goes down because to be honest like some people do have children and not trying to say that their child ruined their life but a lot of people might look at it that way you know so it's like I feel like no matter what you're damned or if you do or damned if you don't in the conversation so why not talk about both options yeah and I you know I think that um yeah you know as someone who also counsels at Planned Parenthood so I I have sat also with thousands of uh, people getting an abortion you know the the experience varies for everyone, just kind of like motherhood does or being pregnant or all those things vary for everyone, right? The experience of abortion varies for everyone too. Um, You know, some people have one and they're absolutely like, this is totally the right decision and I didn't agonize over it and they get it and they feel relieved and they're like, great, thank you and go on with their lives. You know, some people might feel more ambivalent, right? It might feel like a harder decision for them because of maybe their religion or their desire to be a parent, but maybe feeling like it's not the right time or, you know, uh, many, many factors. Um, you know, I think that um, to, to, to put it down to one experience is just like, right. It's like putting motherhood down to one experience or being a pregnant person, right? Like I have friends who are like, I loved my pregnancy and I felt glowing and it totally even like made me feel even keel emotionally. And then I have friends, you know, who are like, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. I was sick constantly and I really didn't enjoy it at all. Right. Um, So it's like, right. Our reproductive lives are not always going to mirror each other's and we need to have space for all kinds of experiences and not just one narrative. But I think unfortunately, because our society at some point decided, um, or a lot of religions decided that abortion was morally wrong, then the only stories that the media felt safe pushing or anyone wanted to push was these stories of someone being devastated that it happened. Or like, you know, um, I remember Party of Five, uh, Nev Campbell's really uh, character was pregnant and she was going to get an abortion and then they had her actually have a, a miscarriage on the way to the abortion so she didn't actually have the abortion right so it became this taboo where it was like it, could, it either couldn't be shown in media or if it was shown it had to be this like dramatic sad thing and I do think we are getting more representations now um sex education was a great one on Netflix if people have not watched that I highly highly recommend it it's very cute 
Um, and they have a, a storyline in there where a character gets an abortion and it's a very, um, you know, it's just a storyline of a girl who's like, you know, feels she's too young to be a parent and goes and does it. And um, it's not, does not ruin her life. It does not derail her. Right. And I, so I think like, you know, we need a spectrum of stories. We don't need just one story because there is not one story. And when we're only pushing one, that's damaging. I agree. And it's funny because, uh, you know, you were talking about a show, but Big Mouth is one of my favorites on Netflix. And it's actually something that I've um, <laughs> talked to a few of my friends about and was like, when, you know, the girls are old enough or older to have that conversation, I was like, that might be a show that we would encourage them to watch or like, you know, maybe if they felt comfortable with me and their father watching it, because it is so funny, but I feel like it's so instructive. And like you said, it, it kind of shows every single person's perspective um, in a, in a lighthearted manner. And I think that that is what we need to hear more about than the devastating, which um, goes into my, uh, you know, what WAP means, Jessica. Uh, yes, one of the young women I work with uh, told me it means a wet donkey cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so um, with that, how do you feel about the song? I mean, listen, like I, I love it. Um, I mean, I just think it's like a fun song and it's um, right. I think it's a, I think it shocked a lot of people because it's talking about female sexuality in a way that doesn't always get talked about. Right. Like we, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's so many male songs about male pleasure. Right. Like, yeah. Um, I, I feel like there's, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of a male one off the top of my head, but I feel like there's so many about men and male sexuality. Uh, that ask me like an animal, the fuck you like an animal. Yeah. Um, or even like, I feel like 50 Cent has one that's like the lollipop or something, which is oh, clearly yeah. for like penis, you know, kind of thing in that. Um, but when women are just being so um, open about it, that it makes men uncomfortable. And I think also sometimes men are uncomfortable with female pleasure um, because maybe they are unsure if they know how to give it or they um, haven't been educated on it either, right? Like many of them did not get that education as well. And, um, you know, I think that, um, but I think it's great. And I, you know, I'm not saying you should probably, maybe it's not appropriate to dance around with like a five-year-old, right? But like, <laughs> I think for, um, you know, those of us that are, are a little older, um, you know, it's a super fun song. It's super catchy. It's fun. It's, it's nice to hear about like, you know, women's sexuality and women's uh, vaginas and women getting wet and those kinds of things that we don't talk about, but we talk about jizz and men's penises constantly. <laughs> Agreed. And so what, just to end our segment, I do want to ask, uh, what is the advice you would give any parent listening right now? Like, what is it that you've heard from these, you know, young people or, you know, these adults or people of disabilities? Like, what is something that you wish every single parent out there knew? Yeah, um, I think what I, and this will actually come back a little bit. So maybe you um, asking me if Molly came to me or something, but I think like, right. So every kid um, is different. Right. And so some kids might feel really cool talking to their parents about sex. And so parents should try to have those conversations. There might also be kids that are, um, you know, who feel a little uncomfortable talking to their parents. There also might be parents out there who, right, maybe they never really got the talk and like they don't know like 
all the stuff about birth control or what's out there, you know, things like that. And so I think that, um, you know, but I think just being open about like letting them talk about sexuality and then also being like, you know what, I don't know if I know all that stuff, but I can identify this like place. So whether it's like you look up your local Planned Parenthood and see if they have a sex educator there or right, you have a relative that you feel um, you can trust or like I said, like a teacher or, you know, another adult in their life. So even if they don't feel comfortable to coming and talking to you or you don't feel perfectly comfortable um, talking to them, making sure that you're identifying adults or places in their lives that they can be having these conversations. You know, um, here in New York City, there's a lot of schools that were mandated to have sex ed. Um, they're supposed to have sex ed in middle school and high school. There are many many schools that do not comply with that mandate. Um, you know, and so, and because like, if no one finds out, nothing happens. So I think also with parents, like if they feel ill-equipped to have these conversations, but they want it to be happening in the school, right. Going to the PTA, going to the principal. You were discussing about the PTA. Sorry. We, uh, we got our call dropped. So yeah, I was like, wait, what's happening? Um, yeah, so, you know, maybe lobbying if you if you want your schools to be, um, you know, having sex education in school is like, you know, being in your PTA lobbying to um, the um, principal, um, your school board, things like that, right? Um, so I think, you know, I think it's okay. Like not, not all parents are going to be completely equipped to talk about all things with their children. Um, and that's okay. But as long as you're finding and identifying places for your kid to go and also telling them, you know, even if I don't have all the answers and you want to talk to me, you always can. And I'm here for that. Like, that means a lot to, to kids because, um, you know, I'll kind of end on a story. Um, there was a, um, I was working in one of our one of the standalone clinics on the Lower East Side over the summer when the kids were in school and a girl came to get birth control and she had not been sexually active yet, but she thought that maybe in college she would become sexually active and her, uh, her mom had come with her to the appointment. So, you know, I always talk to them first by themselves. Like, you know, these are the kind of things that are we talking about? Is it okay for mom to come in? She was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I totally want my mom to come in. And, you know, mom came in and we talked about all the different methods and she chose one and mom was like proud of her and was like, oh, and, and the mom asked me, she was like, do you have a lot of parents come in with their kids for family planning appointments? And I was like, no, I, you know, I really don't like most of them are doing it in secret. Most of them want to hide it from their parents because they're scared of their parents' reaction. Um, and I was like, this is actually like, it felt really nice, like seeing this young you know, um, this girl with her mom and feeling like you could talk to mom about it and they were making a decision together and, um, you know, that mom was just being really supportive and um, just, you know, wanted to be there for her. Um, you know, I, I told her that I thought it was a really special thing and it, it was really great and um, that it must be really, really nice for her daughter um, to have her, her mother there. And then of course, mom started crying. And then her daughter was like, Oh, my God, here comes the waterworks. She's been crying ever since she knows I'm going to college soon. But it was like in that cute teenager teasing <laughs> way. But you know, I really meant it because I, I think like, right, that that counseling session went way different than a counseling session when I have a kid who's like, literally terrified of their parents, right, finding their birth control. And, you know, so I think like, 
be open with your kids, talk to them, and then you'll know what's going on. Because I'm telling you, stuff is going to go on whether you know it or not. If you want to be a part of your kid's life and have, you know, be able to talk about your values and um, impart some wisdom on them, like just let them know that you're open to that. That's really the most important thing. I could not agree more, but seriously, thank you so much, Jessica, for coming on. Um, You can rate, review, and subscribe. And please, if you have any uh, comments or questions, um, especially for Jessica, I will uh, get them to her and then she can hopefully answer them since she's the first expert that I've had on here. So (laughs) once again, thank you again. You're welcome. Bye. So formal. Bye. I know. I know. That's how I am now. I'm all my my podcasts have to be super formal. So. <laughs> all, right. all right, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited for episode four of wondering as parents how to talk WAP and this week's guest I'm very excited about which is Margaret Wright. She is from Indiana. Um, She is also living in South Dakota, Pennsylvania, Washington, Germany, South Korea and now is in the Richmond, Virginia area. She majored in German and political science and international inequalities and she actually met her husband while teaching English in South Korea and she has a very fascinating tale especially because her dad was a pastor and growing up um, in a conservative house and kind of how she navigated the sex talk with her family and her siblings so anyway take it away margaret